Hi, and welcome to the GMC Sunday podcast, where our team from GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland, bring you our weekly message from the Lord. In this podcast, we bring you a series in the prophet Hosea, Power of the Redeeming Love of God. Hosea's story, his life and his prophetic word to Israel is about its, Israel's, promiscuity. In other words, their idolatry and going after other gods. This book does not leave the reader to guess about who God is, but instead introduces his uniqueness and sovereignty, a message much needed in the church today. Ultimately, the message of Hosea is one of divine compassion and a love that will not let God's people go. May these words from Hosea be a blessing to you today. But now, before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Let's join together in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, we join together this morning to to worship you, to praise you. You are the God who is eternal. You're the one who created the world in which we live and who continues to hold all things together. And yet, who tells us to call him Father. So, Father God, We come before you today longing to bring glory and honor to your name. We thank you that you love us, that you're long-suffering, merciful, full of grace. We thank you for the day and the moment that you came into our lives, and we thank you that you've kept us thus far and will continue to do so. Thank you, Lord, that even though we've offended you and caused you great pain, you still reach out your hands of mercy and your hands of love towards us. Oh, help us, we pray, to rededicate ourselves and all that we have to you and do it in sincerity and truth today. We thank you for Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we say, come, Holy Spirit, and move powerfully among us today to stir us up more and more to reverence our Savior's name. Father, we thank you for the preciousness of your word with all its revelation of you. We pray for a a great anointing over your word that we should receive it into our hearts and that we would know you speaking clearly to us. Oh Lord, this morning, let your word fall from heaven into the hearts of each and every one of us and help us to come humbly before you in repentance in response to your word. May the fruit of our hearing not be bitter and unpleasant to you, but good and pleasing in your sight. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, may we not go astray, led here and there by the temptations of this world, but may we continue firm in faithful obedience and persevere in it through the whole course 
of our life. Lord Jesus, we exalt your holy name. We declare your name over this nation and pray that you would come and take your rightful place because you are the King of glory. You are the Prince of Peace. And you are the Lord of heaven and earth. And you are the Son of Righteousness. And you have the words of eternal life. You are Jesus Christ the Lord, and Jesus the Messiah reigns. Oh, thank you, Father, that Jesus the Messiah reigns. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Following our prayer, I hope this has prepared your heart to receive deeply from God's Word, wherever you are today and however you are feeling. Please know that God's Word is powerful, with the ability to change your life, so listen in to the reading and the exposition from our preacher today. If anything in the readings or the message from the preacher challenges you, raises questions in your heart and your mind, or maybe you just want to know more about Christian faith, and getting to know the Lord Jesus, we would love to hear from you. So get in touch via our website or through the office. Details are in our show notes. If you'd like to support GMC financially in our Ministry for the Kingdom, then offering details can be found on the homepage of our website, gillespiechurch.org. Now, over to our preacher. We're continuing in our study of Hosea. Um, you might want to have your Bibles open this morning because uh, it's a substantial reading. We're going to cover two chapters this morning, um, which means we're getting through it. We're getting through it. Uh, we're going to read Hosea chapter 9 and 10. And I'm reading from an NIV translation. Do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations. For you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at the threshing floor, at every threshing floor. Threshing floors and wine presses will not feed the people. The new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land. Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean food in Assyria. They will not pour out wine offerings to the Lord, nor will their sacrifices please him. Such sacrifices will be like to them the bread of mourners. All who eat them will be unclean. This food will be for themselves. It will not come into the temple of the Lord. What will you do on the day of your appointed feasts, on the festival days of the Lord? Even if they escape from destruction, Egypt will gather them and Memphis will bury them. Their treasures of silver will be taken over by briars and thorns will overrun their tents. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this because your sins are so many and your hostility so great the prophet is considered a fool, the inspired man a maniac, 
The prophet, along with my God, is the watchman over Ephraim. Yet snares await him on all his paths and hostility in the house of his God. They have sunk deep into corruption as in the days of Gebeah. God will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your fathers, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. But when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they bring up children, I will bereave them of every one. Woe to them when I turn away from them. I have seen Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim will bring out their children to the slayer. Give them, O Lord, what will you give them? Give them wombs that miscarry and breasts that are dry. Because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All the leaders, all their leaders are rebellious. Ephraim is blighted. Their root is withered. They yield no fruit. Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations. Let's keep going. Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself, and as his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. Their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Then they will say, we, we have no king because we did not revere the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us? They make many promises, take false oaths and make agreements. Therefore, lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. The people who live in Samaria fear for the calf idol of beth Avon. Its people will mourn over it. And so will its idolatrous priests, those who had rejoiced over its splendor because it is taken from them into exile. It will be carried to Assyria as a tribute for the great king. Ephraim will be disgraced. Israel will be ashamed of its wooden idols. Samaria and its king will float away like a twig on the surface of the waters. The high places of wickedness will be destroyed. It is the sin of Israel. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. Then they will say to the mountain, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Since the days of Gebeah, you have sinned, O Israel, and there you have remained. Did not war overtake the evildoers in Gebeah? When I please, I will punish them. 
Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bonds for their double sin. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh, so I will put a yoke on her fair neck. I will drive Ephraim. Judah must plow, and Jacob must break up the ground. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. But you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception because you have depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. The roar of battle will rise against your people so that all your fortresses will be devastated. A shalman devastated Beth Arbel on the day of battle when mothers were dashed to the ground with their children. Thus will it happen to you, O Bethel, because your wickedness is great. When that day dawns, the king of Israel will be completely destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. If we thought it's been bad up till now. Last week, I blew the chauffeur. We heard the trumpet sound of God's impending judgment. Israel will reap what she has sown. They planted the wind and will harvest the whirlwind. So as we continue with chapters 9 and 10, the sentence is read. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to hear. Israel has been found guilty on all counts. They broke the covenant and ignored the law, acting like it wasn't applicable to them. They made alliances with foreign powers to ensure their spiritual, uh, their survival and security rather than relying on God. They appointed their own kings, often through violence and intrigue, instead of seeking God's choice and listening to the prophets. One of America's founding fathers once said, if men will not be governed by God, then they will be ruled by tyrants. How often do we see that in our world today? They made idols and have become idol worshippers, and they thanked and sacrificed to their idols for their success and provision. This was their worship. They were actually sacrificing to idols. And the more successful and prosperous and fruitful they became, the greater the the altars they built to these idols. It just went on and on. The more they flourished, the deeper they pursued a false religion. In choosing to do things their own way, they had turned to Baal and Canaanite cult. They were Baal worshippers. But they still thought they were worshippers of Yahweh. Their worship of Yahweh had become divided, superficial, and tokenistic at best. 
They claimed to know God, but their lives and their worship said something entirely different. The Bible describes the heart as the center or the seat of the will and the intellect, not as we might think, the center of our feelings and emotion. It's from the heart that we make decisions. Israel's problem was one of the will, of conscious choices and decision-making and wholehearted commitment. Her divided heart was a constant threat to the reality of the worship she offered, which affected her communion with the Lord. One of the things that um, stood out for me in this passage as I went over it was how patient God has been with his people. How compassionate and forgiving. But we hear it's wearing thin. Israel's sin has a, a familiar historical pattern to it. It's repeated over and over and over again. And in this passage, God reminds them of this, of the times and the places where they walked in disobedience and fell into idolatry. I'm going to dot back and forth between these chapters, but it says in chapter 10, verse 9, O Israel, ever since Gabeah, there has only been sin and more sin. You've made no progress whatsoever. Nothing's changed. If anything, it's gotten worse. God has forgiven time and time again and restored them. But will they never learn? Will they never grow to be the people he called them to be? This sentence, this judgment upon them has not just come out of the blue, nor is it unjust. This time God is saying enough is enough. There's a lesson or a warning for us all in this. How close to the wind are we prepared to sail? How near do we get to the flames of deliberate sin and disobedience when it comes to our relationship with God and indeed our relationship with the world? Are we prepared to test the goodness of God and the patience of God, believing somehow he might turn a blind eye, cut us some slack? Or do we believe we're still doing enough to be okay with God? Friends, if we test God in this way, fail to trust him, acknowledge or thank him for our countless blessings, fail to listen, choose to ignore his word, determine to do things in our own strength and willfully have our own way, ignore the warnings and refuse to let him deal with specific sin in our lives, specific wounds and hearts, two things will happen. God will not share his glory with another, whatever takes precedence in our lives, if it's not God. Unchallenged sinful behavior, if it's not dealt with, 
it keeps recurring over and over, just like the children of Israel. Kept happening again and again. And it increases until we reach the point where disobedience is the norm. And our hearts become so hardened that we're no longer able to discern the Spirit's voice and the Spirit's leading. At this point, and it may take a while, God says, enough, enough. If this is what you want, if this is your choice, I'm going to take my hands off and my covering off of you. But if you choose this road whilst continuing to consider yourself a child of God, realize you are an apostate. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You know, sometimes when uh, people share their testimony, they will share what their sinful life, was, sinful life was like before they knew Jesus and of how much life has changed for them after they received Jesus as Lord because they're forgiven, they're restored, they're filled with joy, they're set free to realize their God-given potential. You know, God has a potential and a plan for each and every one of us. Lee shared something of his story last week of how much he's changed since knowing Lord Jesus. You see, we're supposed to change. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to become more Christ-like in our faith and godly character and realize our destiny and our potential, not to make no progress at all. And this is what Hosea is saying to the Israelites, you've made no progress at all. Something's gone wrong when this happens. And it's always our choice. Our will determines the direction we are moving in. Israel has made no progress at all. Now we can understand and even be sympathetic of past sins before a person knew and believed and not judge that person. They weren't in the Lord then. The life before Jesus and the life after Jesus should be drastically different. And that's the power of your testimony, of our testimony. Look at what God can do and look what he's done with someone like me. But what of those who fall away, who knew the favor of God, knew and know Jesus as Savior? What is the value of their witness and the example they give to others when they fall away and disgrace the name of the Lord and miss the plans that God had for them? Israel was God's favored people. He chose them. He gave them the law of Moses, the word of God, the blessings, the prophets, the promises, the favor of God, true worship, and the protection of God. The presence of God was with them in every situation. How could they get it so wrong? We would never do that. 
or would we? You know, I know I've shared before, but bear with me as I share once more. When I gave my life to Jesus at 15, I was not really a great example to others of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, because in truth, I find the whole thing hard going when it came to church and doing all the things a Christian was supposed or not supposed to do. I'm not going to blame it on anybody else but myself. And the world seemed to offer so much more excitement. So I became what I term a half-hearted Christian, a tokenistic Christian, with one foot firmly in the world and one lightly in the church. It's easy to push an unbalanced person over. I lived a double life, and I was dissatisfied in both. But I still believed that I was doing enough to secure my place in heaven when I died. You can hear my theology then. My theology and understanding of God and justification was all wrong, all wrong. You had to earn God's approval. You had to work for it. I didn't have a strong root system. My pastor, the new pastor, he barely knew me, but he was aware of this duality within me. And he took me aside one day and said, Margaret, why don't you get off the fence? You're a miserable Christian and you're a miserable sinner. You want God and his blessings, but you want it on your terms. And that's not how it works. How many of us want God and his blessings and his protection and his cover and answers to prayer and all that he promises in this life that is abundant and full, but on our terms? His words rang true with me. He had meant to encourage me to come off the fence wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly on the side of God and all that he had for me. But instead, I chose to jump headlong into the side of the world and all it had to offer. I wasn't going to feel guilty any longer. That's why I was a miserable Christian, because I felt guilty all the time. Well, I'm not going to feel guilty any longer. And for a while, I continued to think of myself as a Christian, going to church occasionally, but I was at best nominal. And the more I followed my own path, my own way, made my own choices with no thought of others, the more I resembled the God that I had chosen, which was the God of this world. Israel had chosen Baal over God, and they began to resemble him more and more. I could no longer call myself a Christian despite believing in God. You know, the devil believes in God, but he still rebelled against him. I did not want to dishonor God's name, so I stopped calling myself a Christian. That's a deception as well, as if that was an honorable thing to do, denying the Savior who gave his life for me. I think one of his disciples managed to do it on the night when he was betrayed. 
Jesus is right when he says, you can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, those of you that know me by now, my personality is such that whatever I do, I do it wholeheartedly. And I was no longer half-hearted about my choices. I became a wholehearted sinner. And my choices, perhaps not surprisingly, left me broken, sick, and in despair. It took several years, but I lost everything. My first marriage, the security and well-being of my children, close relationships, my health, my business, my home, such are the wages of sin. It's death. Your life dies bit by bit, and the idols that you embrace prove false. You become as worthless as they are. The world I had feasted myself upon literally made me sick. We're witnessing Israel's fall from grace this morning. And this sentence given from God of removing them from the promised land and returning them to bondage, they're not returning to Egypt. That's just uh, to let you know that they're being returned to bondage. They were released from Egypt. They're being returned to bondage. This time it will be the Assyrians. God is letting them go to feast fully on the choices they've made. They'll be taken into captivity by the Assyrians, who ironically, they've been paying off to protect them from other threatening nations, including Egypt, giving them protection money. They trusted the army that they had to protect them. They made an alliance with a scorpion who turned around and stung them instead of trusting God to protect them and provide for them. Instead of worshiping the one true God, they mixed it all up and thanked Baal for their good fortune and prosperity and fruitfulness. Well, let's see how they will prosper in captivity with the hand of God withdrawn from them, with nothing but nothing but pagan worship to feed upon. This is the life you want have it wholeheartedly. This is the worship you want, which is so offensive to me, then have it wholeheartedly with no illusions that you are still my people. Hosea has been warning Israel to repent. You are in such danger. He preaches against this idolatry, but they laugh at him. They call him crazy. Are you crazy? Life's good. That's what the world does. That's the illusion. When the people of God are in the midst of the world trying to share the truth with them, they don't want to hear it. Crazy Christians. Crazy Christians, get real. And Jesus warns that the same thing will be true for all those who are faithful to his word in every generation. Matthew 5 and verse 11 says this, 
God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Hosea was laughed at and persecuted for coming and trying to warn the children of Israel. God chose these people. He called them by name. He made a covenant with them. And he will not allow them to be the people of Baal. That's the bottom line. If they will not be Yahweh's people, they will be no people at all. Israel is headed for ultimate ruin, and this is their sentence. They will be removed from the promised land after everything they'd gone through to enter that land. They'll be removed from it, and their relationship with God will be severed. There will be no children. This text means there's not going to be any children of godliness. Theirs will be the last generation to come under God's protection and blessing. The goodness of God will be removed from them, and they will live with the full consequences of their choices, scattered among the pagans they so identified with. Israel has become vile like the thing they loved fixating on something other than the true and living God, it's a somber warning that if we organize our lives around anything that is not of God, it changes a person until we resemble that thing, that idol. From a a spiritual perspective, idolaters become lifeless and worthless and as impotent as the thing they serve. There's no fruit, no life in all its fullness. Hosea 9 ends with a sober warning. If you don't repent of your wicked ways, God will reject you. Now, looking at the clock, I can see I'm not going to get through two chapters. So I'll just take another five minutes or so, and we'll go as far as we can. They should not think of themselves as the people of God who will one day inherit covenant promises You know, the promised land, whether it's Canaan or the new heavens and the new earth, is not for apostates. There's no place for half-hearted Christianity in God's kingdom. So what are our choices this morning? Consider the choices that we are making. Here's a bit of hope from chapter 10. Plant good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Lee spoke to us last week about sowing and reaping. What do we want to harvest in our lives and in our church and in our communities and in our families? But what if we've made poor choices and gone our own way and not God's way, refused change or challenge or discipline? Well, Hosea goes on, plow up the hard ground of your hearts. That's what sin does. It makes your heart hard. 
Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. I chose the God of this world, even knowing Jesus, and it crushed me. But I want to say, friends, it was while I was in this sickened and desperate state that God came to me one day and whispered, daughter, your name is written in the book of life. God cannot break covenant. He is just. He will deal with sin. But he will always be faithful to the promises he makes. Such amazing grace. I could not believe. Incredibly, I was still his child. God is faithful to his promises even if we are not. He had waited until I was so sick of the world to say, have you had enough? Have you had enough yet? Do you want to do things my way? Because you're mine. I chose you. And I called you by name and I've never stopped loving you and I have a plan and a purpose for you and no one can snatch you out of my hand. How great is our God. He cannot ignore sin. But Jesus paid the price for my sin and God made a way for me to return to him wholeheartedly not half-heartedly, whole-heartedly, and this is the result, I'm afraid. I am my beloved's, and he is mine, and God wants that for his people, Israel, and if it means sending them into captivity until they're so sick, till they're vomiting on their choices, until they will eventually cry out and say, enough, enough. And as we go through the rest of Hosea, we will see the compassion and love of God who never leaves us in that place. He must deal with sin. He will not share his glory with another. You see, the more you do what you please, the less you will be pleased with what you do. People who do whatever their heart pleases are never satisfied. I know Hosea is a difficult message to hear, but please hear also the heartbeat and love of God who loves his people. So let me close with this. Are we placing our trust in anything other than God in our lives for our security and our well-being? True worship is always meant to satisfy you. Always. But it wasn't satisfying them. Because when we live out with God's parameters for our lives, half in, half out, the more we do what we please, the less we will be pleased with what we do. Israel had made no progress in years. But that would change. By the love of God, let us pray. Father, there is so much in your word. We, we want to get to the depth of it and learn the lessons. 
as you reminded Israel over and over again, remember when you got it wrong there. And remember when you got it wrong there and I took you back and I restored you. But you've made no progress. And we wonder today at our churches that are full of people who have made no progress. They haven't grown because they've chosen not to grow. They've said this far and no further. I want all you have, but I want it on my terms. God forgive us. May we come to you wholeheartedly and surrender all once and for all. Have your way, Lord. Have your way in the church in this nation that is so half-hearted. Have your way. Do whatever you need to do that we would fully realize your love and your compassion, but your justice. We come to you this morning, and if any of us have a sense of, I'm living two lives here. I'm giving a part of it to God, but I'm also giving a part of it to the enemy because I'm living in the world. Will you help us to come off the fence, not on the side of the world, but on the side of the kingdom of God and all its righteousness? Help us, Father. Hear our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Worship Podcast from the team at GMC Dunfermline. Again, if you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe, and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org or find us on Facebook or look back at some of our videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page on our website. Again, details are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon on the homepage of the website. If you liked what you heard, then please share this podcast with friends and family and colleagues. Share the Word of God. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Jack Wiggle, and the soundtrack is above all by Lenny LeBlanc and Paul Beloche, performed by Gordon Eastop and Mike Weaver. Thanks for listening, and God bless.